Welcome to the Dylan Experience. Today is episode 64. I'm your host, Dylan Sessler, and I've got another special guest for you. Before we get to that, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you need to do to stay in, stay in touch with the podcast. My next guest is an author, a mindset coach, and the host of the Let's Go Win podcast, who has been building companies and leading sales teams for over 20 years. He is the co-founder and CEO of Let's Go Win, whose mission is to increase leadership, enhance culture, and help teams achieve peak performance. My guest today is J.M. Ryerson. Did I say that, that right, Ryerson? Hey, get it. You nailed it, man. That was awesome. Thank you. Perfect. I try to try to get that right, right? So, J.M., tell me, you know, I mean, there's, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to go over, but go ahead and start with what brings you here. Like, why, why did you choose the path you chose throughout life? You know, go back as far as you want. How did you get to be the person that you are today? Why did you choose Let's Go Win? Like, tell me about these things. Sure. Well, I mean, when it comes to where I am today, I, you know, I'll start with my parents. I, I have, you know, two or had, excuse me, two amazing parents. And, and I lost my dad recently, but I have, you know, incredible parents that absolutely supported me every step along the way and all the sports and both my older sister and my younger brother as well. And let's go in specifically. I mean, I, I played every sport you can imagine as a kid, football, baseball, basketball, swimming, soccer. And, and I'm just passionate about, you know, the idea of winning. And it's not about wins and losses. That is the one misnomer that people are like, oh, it's all about the wins. No, it's not. It's, a, it's, about, it's about winning and or learning, right? I don't really believe in, in losing unless you don't learn. So now, this is my fourth company that I've had a chance to be a part of building. And this is what I call my legacy company. I mean, I am absolutely passionate about what I do every single day because I get to work with human beings to inspire them to live their best lives. That's why the company exists. And it all started with the first book, Let's Go Win, Keys to Living Your Best Life. I wrote it for my two boys. I have a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old uh, sons. and I wrote that book and they, the idea was the lessons for my parents, my grandparents, authors and mentors, because I, I love to read and I love to share information. I just wanted them to maybe not skin their knees as much as I did growing up. And so hopefully that's something that they'll find useful. My older boys read it. My younger has not. Um, but that's okay, man, because the resource will be there. And I always say, if I got hit by a bus you know, they'll have some philosophies that I chose to live by. So that's probably why I'm so passionate about it. And it just led me into cool things like, like a podcast. I, I, it's one of my favorite things to do is a podcast and coaching and just working with phenomenal people. So I hope that answers your question, Dylan, but uh, that's kind of my, my snippet into how I got to let's go in and, and why it's my passion. So why I, I'm curious, like what brought you to this this concept of winning you know and winning versus learning kind of kind of deal where where did that really kind of begin and, and why have you taken it to the lengths that you've taken it now that's a really good uh, good question it's an insightful question because uh, so i moved from california to florida about a year and a half ago and the only reason i tell you that is i guess i started writing and talking about let's go win when I was about 21 years old, because I went back to a journal when I was cleaning out the garages we're moving and I'm looking and sure enough, there's my logo. There's let's go win. I had all these notes 
but I hadn't pulled it out. I had already written the book. I'd forgotten about it. And it marinated in my brain for 20 some odd years. I didn't realize it, but I think if I were to reflect back and go back, I had just blown out my knee for the third time. And so my identity as an athlete, everything, you know, JM, the basketball player or whatever it was, it was always as an athlete that was gone. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I was searching for is the mindset of winning because, okay, fine. I'm no longer an athlete. What am I? And the truth is we're so many things, right? We wear all these labels all the time, but labels are meant for boxes. And I didn't understand that at the time, but I was trying to, to really process through that. And so I just, through the years, I was like, I love the idea of a growth mindset. I love getting better every single day. I love to win. I do love to win. Don't get me wrong. But when I do have some failures, I want to look at that as a learning experience. And I want to share that because I think there's so many things that we can simplify in our world, but not all the time people choose to. And there's a lot of self-sabotage that gets in a way, a lot of self-limiting beliefs that we've inherited. And I'm passionate about not having those in my life and hopefully anyone I work with to eradicate that from them as well. I feel like that's an extension of like of winning uh, in, a, in a sense of like, you're not playing like, cause, cause I've been through that similar situation, right? I tore, two, I tore my ACL three times, right? I have two of them tore them three times. How do you, you do the math, right? Two reconstructions on them. You know how that, I, I'm sure you know how that goes. Um, and so for, for, in, for some time I had to figure out, am I staying in the military or am I not? Right. And, and what, what's the military going to do, but not only that, but what am I going to do? Right. And so that, that unknown kind of forces you to look at not just today. Right. And I think, I think as a kid and as growing up, especially sports, it's like next game, right? Like next practice, next game, right. In the military, it's like, for, for me, sometimes it was like, let's get to, let's get to breakfast and then let's get to lunch. It's the next meal, right? Like it's so, it's so short-sighted that when something like this happens to you and you stop having the ability to become an athlete or remain an athlete and remain a soldier, you have to step outside yourself and actually plan, you know? And then I, that's where I kind of think it's almost an extension of winning in terms of time where now you are forced to think about what am I going to do for the rest of my life? because I didn't realize I wasn't going to be an athlete for the rest of my life. I wasn't going to be a soldier for the rest of my life. Um, and so you learn how to win ultimately at the game of life. Um, and, and you start thinking about it. You know, I, I love, um, it wasn't Simon Sinek that said it, but he brings this up of like the difference between finite and infinite games of if you're going to be a player of a finite game, a simple game where someone actually can win you're going to play life very differently than if you're an infinite player where the game never stops. And so, you know, I think, I think how you're approaching is very similar to how, you know, you know, you're looking at it from a a level of I'm, I'm not stopping play until I'm gone and the game is going to keep going. And that's a very mature mindset, I think. Yeah. And again, that's a lot of self-exploration, right? And if I'm talking to my 20 year old self, because I remember that third knee surgery for me, I only had two ACLs, two meniscus. My last one was both right. Yeah. Um, But if I was talking to that 20 year old, I was crushed brother. I mean, I was, I, I remember sitting there going, 
and I don't know if we cuss or not, but what the Go blank for it. are you going to do? This is who I am. What? And it's so crazy to think of that now, sitting here at 44 years old, yeah. to think, hey, 20-year-old, that's just one part of the one small part of your life. And I don't care if I ended up playing in the NBA, which in my head, it didn't matter, man. I was playing in the NBA. At some point that career is over and you're so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And so it, it has evolved brother. And it's something that I do now know, but I know that 20 year old kid didn't know it. And I know how wrapped up I was. It's kind of like losing your first love, right? It was catastrophic. It was life altering. I'm never going to love again. Yes, you are. In the moment, it just seems like everything. But yeah, man, it's just been a really cool journey. And every time I can share that with with people like, hey, you will, this too shall pass, no matter what has happened. And there's some shit that happens in our life. And you're like, you know what, this too shall pass. This is one part of your life. This is your journey. And, and be in that moment and just know it will get better. It will get worse. It could do all things, but enjoy the moment. So I'm, I'm curious, and and before I get into this, I will say you can say whatever the fuck you want, right? This is this is my podcast. You like nobody can nobody can censor you here. You can say whatever the fuck you want, right? That doesn't mean I won't like it or not. Like that's up to me. But um, the question I have is like, you obviously have built four companies, and you've done obviously so much work within uh, business and sales and all of that. And I'm really curious. You know, this, this idea that we're talking about personally of approaching something that's devastating, that's a, a major issue in our life, um, can also translate itself in business where I think I'd like to kind of transition into like things like leadership and, and how you approach that. Because when you see, you know, I think 2020, 2021, even now has become a remarkably interesting time to be alive and to pay attention to how businesses actually work. How do you kind of approach the idea when leaders, business leaders, business owners look at their employees or look at the work that's being done and say, this isn't enough, you know, and, and this is devastating. This is a problem. And they, they play the finite games versus the infinite game of trying to manage a business, but also manage the people supporting the business. How do you kind of approach that with your style and your, your experience? Yeah, brother, I absolutely love this question. Now I will answer first by saying the first company and a half, I was that finite leader. I was that step on anyone's neck to get where you need to go. It didn't matter. I mean, I damn near lost my, my, my beautiful wife, right? We were separated for a year. I, uh, destroyed friendships, but I was going to win, man. And what I realized is it's, it's more than that. And a you're winning through sheer grit, desire, blood, sweat, and tears and to use, but, but that's how you're winning. That doesn't mean that's a the best way to do it. And what I realized brother in my second company, the second half of the second company, I realized if I was showed up as my authentic self as JM, here I am, right? I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. I'm not a three piece suit tie dressed up looking and sounding a certain way. That's just not who I am. I'm a kid from Montana that is all about just here I am. When I did that, what was fantastic and what I learned in leadership, I promise you, I'm getting to the answer, but what I learned is I grew so much faster a as a company and it was so much more fulfilling and rewarding. So when it comes to leaders, when it comes to that, what I would 
tell them and what I do coach on is just remember, this is a human being on the other side. This is not a number. This is not someone that wanted to show up at work and wanted to be bad at their job. It doesn't exist. I truly don't believe that exists. There may have been poor expectations set. You may not have been clear on what you want to do. There may not have been adequate support. They may have something going on at home so awful. And instead of just berating or coming down, ask some questions. And when I started to do that, Dylan, when I would stop and just look at the person and say, are you okay? Let's start there, right? Are you okay? Things would come up and it's like, no, actually I have my mom's dying of cancer at home, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, guess what? How can they show up as their best self in their environment knowing that, right? And so then you start to show them, hey, let me support you however I need to so that you can, or maybe even remove you for the time being, because I know you don't want to show up the way you are today. I know that you want to do better because look, people want to be fulfilled in their career. And so it's a kind of a long-winded answer, but truly being authentic, being vulnerable, and genuinely giving a shit about the person you're working with. That has served me so much better. And it's just made company two, three, and now four just really grow at an exponential path. But it's all because I'm using my emotions. I'm connecting with people at the heart. It's not about facts and figures. It's just not. Right. It's a people game. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely love that, that answer. It's, I've always, I've always kind of taken that into into my military leadership because I, you know, I didn't start off in, in business. I didn't start off in um, companies where I became a leader. It was always kind of military that, that provided my, me, my leadership background. Um, and I was always appalled at some points of like, when I joined the military of how, how much the people were, were un, unnecessary, right? It, it's that expendable idea. And I, I'm, I'm in the infantry. So it makes sense to some capacity, but during Iraq and Afghanistan, the, the mindset of leadership was not this idea that we need to take care of the men so we can take care of the mission. It was very much the mission comes first and the men are, are a distant afterthought. Um, and, and that was, that was always something that just ate at me. It was a, it was a problem that I always saw. And, and I think throughout, throughout these two conflicts, we, we found ourselves in a place where the military learned a pretty, pretty tragic lesson that suicides almost outweighed the casualties. And I think it did outweigh the casualties lost at war. Um, and that's, you know, I don't even think that's a representative number of, of what happened. I think the idea of addiction, the idea of even domestic violence and PTSD and aggression that, that ultimately changes people's lives you don't really get the capacity to understand the full, uh, the full impact of what that kind of uh, leadership actually does to to people until you, you know, sum up all of those answers. Um, and I and I see that also in business, and I'm 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 worried, right? Like I'm I'm worried about like the state of certainly in 2022, shit's weird. Right. And it's getting even weirder. And, and politics itself is is such an interesting topic. I don't normally delve into it, but I think it's it's harder to not delve into it at this point in time than it is to, you know. And so 
there's, it's just a, it's a, it's a point in time where I think people are, are getting really tired of people not holding themselves accountable and holding others accountable. Um, and I really think like social media is, uh, I don't know if it's bad or good yet, but I think social media is drastically changing the, the, the landscape of how we approach accountability. And it's, I think that's very interesting. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Well, look, when it comes to accountability, it's like, it's my, it'll always ring in my ears. Cause I hear my dad and my mom, but definitely my dad saying, do what you say you're going to do. And yeah. it didn't matter the repercussions. Right. And I've always tried to hang my hat on, look, if I say I'm going to do it, it doesn't matter if it hurts me. It doesn't matter if it helps me. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to see it through. Uh, specific to really genuinely caring about everyone and, and who they are, I understand having a purpose and a mission greater than any one human being. Okay. Now, I've never been in the military, so let, let me just say that. Mm -hmm. I always think back to no man left behind, right? When you see these leaders that are like, no one's coming, not is being left behind. We are bringing them back. And I think of, you know, some of the movies I've watched, I don't know how accurate they are because I've never been in, uh, again, on a war field. But I would hope as a leader, that would be my mentality, right? Yes, I understand the mission. I do. But this is my comrade. This is someone that's willing to sacrifice themselves for a greater cause, I'm not going to leave that person behind. And whether it's in business, whether it's in, in the military, it's just, look, these are people that are purpose-driven, right? If you're in the military, you're purpose-driven. You are. It's way bigger than you to begin with. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that we don't genuinely care for these human beings. When it comes to the mental health part of things, if nothing pains me more and when I drive by and you see someone homeless on the street and, and it's a vet and I just, I want, and many times I do to the chagrin of my wife, but I will hug them. I will, I will give them handshakes. It doesn't matter what the, I don't care what they look like because at some point this human being sacrificed who they were for a cause that I believe in, which is freedom to leave them behind. I don't accept and I don't care what side of the aisle, aisle you are on. That's absolute freaking bullshit. And it's got to stop. And, and so this is something I am passionate about. I obviously I'm a mindset coach. So I believe in working on the mind and, and some of the tragic things that happen dealing with that and not just burying it and saying, okay, here's a stipend. We'll see you later. No, man, we actually need to dig in with these people and, and see how we can help. So I don't know, man. I just, this is a subject that's fascinating in an awful way. Yeah. And it does seem to be trending upwards, especially in certain areas, right? The, the left coast, the, the West coast. I, I left California for one big reason because they were treating them so poorly and there was no answer to it other than to give them a stipend or I, you know, put them up in a shelter and then even give them alcohol or drugs. That's not an answer. There's something seriously going on with this person. And they, they committed their entire life to this country. We got to do better, man. So anyway, thank you for your service. And, and, and I cannot speak enough and highly enough of, of the men and women that have served. I didn't, but in hindsight, I, I wish I had, because I wish I had been that much of a 
servant leader. And that's truly what y'all are. I don't think you need to be in the military to be a servant leader. Fair. That's yeah. fair. I don't disagree, but still, I think you guys are remarkable. I truly do. I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I've been in the military a long time. I've worked with a lot of people. There's, there's good and there's bad. Um, there's, there's people that, that value it and, and appreciate it. And there's other people that abuse it. Um, there's, there's some that will walk away from the military with, you know, the, the bad attitude of, of, you know, cause the army chews you up and spits you out sometimes, you know, the military, I shouldn't say just the army. Um, it chews you up and spits you out sometimes. And, um, it's such an interesting kind of, it's such an interesting environment. One that can be labeled as incredibly beneficial for some and, you know, incredibly toxic for others. Um, and, and, you know, that, I think that goes to, that goes to any, any community in general. Um, but I think the military is such a different community, especially when we kind of consider the idea of winning, right? Because we can't lose, right? Like the, the idea of losing is, is, uh, ultimately kind of tied to death. Um, and so we, we, we've historically approached the problem of trying to be the best military by forcing ourselves to figure out the best way to win. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's come at the cost of mental health, right, of lives that uh, were lost due to mental health. Um, and I think the Army's finally, at least the Army, is coming around to recognize that, um, whether that's a good thing or bad thing in terms of how we approach winning, we'll see. But uh, ultimately, we're a peacetime army now. I don't know how long that will last, but it's, I think it's incredibly important to be able to turn the switch on and off of, hey, we're at war. We need to win. Hey, we're not at war. We need to make sure we take care of people. Um, and I don't think the army necessarily has developed a good structure for that yet, but I think it's in the... I think it's certainly trying, but it's a, it's a government, it's a bureaucracy, who knows what that's going to be. And ultimately I think it comes down to people, right? And I, I think one of the goals of my podcast and, and certainly my, you know, the goals of myself is to try to educate people on how to approach things like PTSD, how to approach mental health, how to approach conversations where you can say, you know, I don't know what you've been through, but I'm willing to listen, you know, and, and not everybody's you know, not everybody's able to do that, but uh, I'm curious with, you know, with what you do with mindset, you know, how do you approach the, the conversations that are hard, right? You know, obviously you, you know, you mentioned earlier that you had to separate with your, from your wife for a year. I imagine that wasn't easy. Um, and certainly I think as a, as, as men, that's a remarkably vulnerable place to be. Right. It's hard to hard to talk about that and tell people, you know, I separate from my wife and it probably wasn't necessarily your choice. It was probably a, a ultimately a combined decision. Um, so how do you approach conversations like that? How do you approach the hard topics, even with your children or with people? You know, what is your experience with that? So the, the best way I can answer is just by being there. You said, listen, and it's truly listening without judgment. So often we, we ask a question with a, a predetermined agenda on what 
they if they say this, they're X. If they say that, they're Y. You don't know, as you said, what they've been through. So just asking a question and giving them a space to to talk, to to feel through what what they've experienced, to feel through what is happening inside and truly from a from a judgment free zone. I'm not suggesting that's easy because we all do have an agenda. We do, whether we like it or we don't. We have we we've been experienced the world a certain way. And when somebody says something, we think, oh, they're and we put people in these boxes, right? Again, labels are for boxes, they're not for humans. And so when I'm having these conversations, especially hard conversations, I try to just ask questions. What, why, how, what, how does that make you feel? Then we go through a process very often where I have them write, just write, not to me, not to, to themselves, to, just to write, get it out of your head. Because what's, what happens so often with our mindset and our mental health and, um, is it's, we, we are so creative in here, right? We create these amazing stories, some really good. So often it's really bad and none of it's actually happening. It's just this narrative that we've created. And so one of the biggest things I coach people on is just write this, a piece of paper and a pen is the best form of free therapy you can find. Yeah. Never had the pe- paper say, you're crazy. I've never had it say, you're brilliant. It doesn't say anything back to me. It just lets me get it out. And what happens once you get it out is you start to get a bit more clarity in, was I crazy? Is this still happening? And I'm not suggesting if it's the end all be all and it fixes everything. It doesn't, but it's the first start to get some of that stuff out, to explore what's happening. And even if you can't speak to somebody, just find a piece of paper and pen and just, just write. And often people are like, well, what should I journal about? Whatever is going on in your brain. And the other uh, small trick, Dylan, and this is not easy, but when you hear that conversation in your head, just going, right? And we do, it happens thousands and thousands of ponds, thousands of ponds, uh, times a day. Sorry, I couldn't get that out, but times a day it happens. And when it goes to that, I just say, stop. Is that really true? And then I just breathe in, I breathe out. And it stops it just for a second and it'll happen again. I'll just be like, stop. I'm creating this conversation. This is not actually happening. Whatever is happening in my brain, whether somebody cut me off and I verbalize it, whether it's a future conversation with my wife, stop, just be in this moment and then go experience whatever that conversation is going to be when it happens. Cause you're going to be wrong. Anyway, we are terrible at, at predicting the future. We don't know but we spend so much mental energy and time and, and it's just, I, I hate watching people go through it. So that's the best piece of advice I could do. Just write and then tell your brain, just stop and breathe a little bit. And then when it happens again, stop, breathe a little bit. You're not judging your thoughts. You're just saying this isn't real. I always, I always find it interesting, not what is written, but the response to what is written. You know, when you have someone write something and then you have them read it to you and they're like, I mean, that, that is always, I think one of the most profound kind of discussions that, that I think most people will ever have is like, once you start reading what you write, um, you know, I think for me, that was why even to this day, I hate reading my own writing. Like I, I read my book for audible. I, I fucking hated it. Right. <laughs> like, um, and it's, it's such an interesting kind of 
dilemma because if you hate what you write, you know, why, you know, why do you hate it? First of all, is, is usually because you see the mistake, you see the, you know, you see all the negativity and you focus on that. Um, and it just becomes this, this almost self-fulfilling prophecy that, that until someone steps in and says, you know, exactly what you were saying of like, Hey, take a moment, right. And just think about what you just said to me, you know, and, and I always kind of see it through the eyes of trauma. Like I, I work with trauma so often, um, that it's just so interesting to kind of help people link it all the way back to that moment of how did you deal with stress following that moment comparatively to before, um, and that's where people are, are just kind of dumbfounded of like, I, I, I can't believe that's, that's how far it goes back. Like, you know, I, I repressed those memories and I suppressed everything to the point of, I didn't even, I couldn't even recognize it. Yeah. And that's some of those hardwires that have been given to us, right? As amazing as my parents were, there's some negative hardwires that they gave me. It's, yeah. it's true. And that's okay. By the way, I'm going to give my kids some of my negative hardwires. I know that. Yep. And then you start to figure out, okay, that's not my reality. That's just what was kind of given to me. I don't have to be this way moving forward. So anyway, it's the writing thing, whether you read it or you don't. I, I you know, it's funny. I was thinking my, my wife and I took our younger son one time to, to a therapist because we were worried he had said something. And we had built it up in our head. We even had a conversation with each other. But when we sat in front of the therapist and we're telling her, she looked at us and she goes, so what is the problem <laughs> created this whole idea? Like, Oh my God, our child and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, so what is the problem? And we were both kind of chuckled just like you did. And we're like, yeah, we created something that didn't really exist, but thank God we had somebody that we could talk to. Right. <laughs> had we written it out, maybe we don't, we save 150 bucks for that hour, but you know what, that, that moment was really, uh, it, 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 it was one of those things that I remember it stuck out. Cause it's like, yeah, we created something in our head that just didn't exist. Yeah. And it was probably worth, worth spending 150 bucks to, to save the eventual, you know, the, the habitual pain that would be processed from, you know, through the child. If you, if that hadn't happened, right. If you hadn't taken that step back of, of saying, wow, I, I'm looking at, at this from a very uh, jaded direction. 100%, you know, then you start labeling that kid, whatever that is, right? They're, they're negative. They're this. No, they're not. It was this one moment. It was one thing. If everybody put that on me for everything I did, oh man, that'd be terrible. But anyway. So I got a, I got a random question. What is your favorite question to ask people? Ooh. Well, one of them is why is winning so important? Because it, teaches me a lot about that human being, especially if they say it's not. And then I'm like, Oh, okay, let's dive into that. So that's one of my favorites. Um, I love just just asking people, the second one would be, what is your purpose? And I don't care if they know the answer, they don't because I it again, I didn't really find my purpose until I was probably 40. But the exploration of that, and to really even somewhat guide somebody to even think about it. That's probably the other question that I truly, truly love is what's your purpose. So those are my two favorite. It's always an interesting question to me, you know, and 
the reason being is like to define a purpose without understanding like how you approach the meaning of life, um, I think becomes almost detrimental at times. You know, I've, I've asked that question to many, many people and it's, it all, it often comes back to that question of like, what is, what is the meaning of life? And when you can, when you don't have an answer, purpose becomes really profoundly hard and almost over, you know, almost becomes a burden in, in some people. Oh, bro, I, I've wrapped myself inside and out thinking about it. I, I'm not clear on my purpose. And you know how I found it? I got quiet. And literally I sat at, you know, when it happened, actually, I actually know the exact time I went away with a tent, a gallon of water, and I think I had a sleeping bag, but it was three days and nothing else, just nature and me. And I didn't have anything to distract me. I didn't even have a book to read. And I love to read. I had to be with my thoughts. And I can't tell you how powerful that is to be able to give yourself that time to quiet everything outside of the world. There is no cell phone. This, that, I mean, forget that for a second. You and nature and brother, it, it became so clear. And once it did, I was like, oh, and then everything just falls into place because again, I got quiet. Now I continue to do that on an annual basis. Like we just got to get quiet and I meditate daily to make sure I quiet the mind a little bit. But that exercise of just going away, just time for yourself. I, I highly suggest it to anybody that's willing to do it. The, the no water, you know, no food or any of that. That's just, that's, you know, it's purging a little bit, a little fasting that takes place, but it's a really profound thing that happened for me. So I'm going to use your, I'm going to use your question against you. Hope you're ready for it. What is your purpose? Yeah, it's to inspire people to live their best lives every single day. I jump out of bed with the idea that if I can do that, I get to live my best life every day. So I have a saying, Dylan, past is pain, future is anxiety, present is everything. Now, Lao Tzu said it like 2000 years ago. He just said it in a longer version. And I've had so many people say, my past is not all pain. I'm like, cool. Let's, I, I got great memories too. And I said, so if you're thinking about how great your life was 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago, last weekend, how are you saying today is showing up? And then if you think about the future, I'm going to do blah, blah, blah when I do X. Again, that's anxiety. Now, how is your, how are you doing today in the present moment? So when I wake up every single day, my, my goal, just like right now with you, is to give 100% to this audience, to this conversation, and nothing else matters, right? Whatever I have next, whatever is happening with my kids, it doesn't matter in this present moment. And then when I'm with my kids, I am with them fully. I'm not watching the TV and my phone and physically being present, which by the way, I've done for years, but I'm actually with them. I'm actually spending time with them. And if you do that, and I hope that answers your question, but that is living my best life. When I'm giving 100% wholly to each moment, I notice that my life is profoundly better than it was when I'm haphazardly going through life, letting everything auto run through it, 
dealing, having 10 things in the air at one time. It's not living, man. Living is truly being in the moment, even during the really crappy times, being in that moment and just feeling it. Well, I think he answered your question. It wasn't my question. Just remember that. Um, do you think you answered your question? I do. Uh, I think you did. I do. And, you know, and the only reason I know that because every day truly, and it sounds so cliche, but I feel blessed every moment I wake up. I'm like, holy shit, man, I get to go have the best day today. And, and that moment, and I send out some great, you know, I, I'm grateful three things. I typically send out texts to three people just telling them, Hey man, you were impactful in my life. I love you, whatever. And, and my day starts and it's just like, wow, I'm going to have a really awesome day. Does that mean every day is great? No, but I try. So do you ever, do you ever, do you ever find yourself struggling like mentally through, through difficult decisions or difficult situations even now? Um, and how do you kind of approach that? Like where, you know, do you have a support structure? How do you approach that? Like, you know, how do you deal with like the hardness of life right now? Yeah. And I mean, it just happened, uh, you know, again, my dad passed, um, in a pretty tragic way. And so it was as dark a moment as I, I never wanted, or nobody wants anybody to die, but didn't the way it happened was like, wow. And so everything that I've taught my clients and, and the people I coach, I had to really see, does it stand up during my worst time? And it did. I'm not saying it was awesome. Like my meditation, I would see him every time I, I went into it. And so was it normal? No, it wasn't normal. But then I, I would do it and I would get a little quieter. And then I would, I would write. And the, the tools that I have in place, I would go reconnect with nature. Then I would go do a workout. All of these things helped me get through the darkest period of, of, my, of my life, especially when the dialogue and chatter in my brain is going a million miles an hour of why. Why did this fucking happen? Well, I can't answer it. I'll never answer it. So why am I going to ask that question? Stop, be in the moment. And so that idea of just stopping and being in the moment truly with forget, let the mind stop for a second. It allowed me to process through things and I'm still doing it and I'm still getting through it right now, but it stops the chatter because if we let this go, it's, it's, it, you're not truly living and you're never going to find the answer that you want. So yeah, man, the tools that I, and the support that I have on top of having an absolutely incredible family of support around me, if I need or want to talk, um, it's, I've been very blessed that way as well. I appreciate you having a conversation about something as vulnerable as, as that. I can't, I mean, I, I know it myself, but at a different time, right. I, I lost my dad. Uh, at a very young age. Um, but I can, I can only imagine how, how difficult it would be to lose a father that has been there for so long and, and to a tragedy, I can't even imagine. So I'm, I, one, I thank you for, for being able to, to have the, you know, the candid honesty and, and be able to share it with me. Um, and I appreciate it. I know my audience will also appreciate it. And I just want to thank you for that. No, I, man, just being able to talk about it, it, it makes it better, right? Because he's still alive in, in inside of me. Excuse me, I'm sorry about that. 
he's still alive inside of me. He may not physically be present, but it helps me to talk about it, right? No matter how tragic. So thank you for sharing. And, and again, it's, you know, look, I didn't say it, but I'm, I, I told you if that's okay, you know, suicide, that's, and I never expected from the strongest, kindest, most selfless human being I've ever met. I never saw it coming, brother. I'm not even an inkling. And at 70 years old, he, he, he did. Yeah. Now, I am passionate. You want to talk about a new passion? It's, it's getting people to, to talk, to stop the cycle, ask for help, not have shame around a mental health challenge. I don't know where that started. I don't, I don't get it. If you had a broken arm, you go to the doctor. No problem. You got a broken head, go get some help. No problem. I don't know why people are so ashamed of it. And there's an amazing book. I, you know, again, this is not my book, but it's uh, the end of mental illness by Dr. Daniel Amen. And it's a, he calls it a brain health issue, not a mental health issue. So it's a fascinating read for anybody that's wondering. Um, but I think it, it can really help some people, you know, coming from an expert like him. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's always interesting to hear how much in common some people have with what I've been through. I, I lost my dad to suicide at six. Um, he was, he was 36 years old. I was six years old. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's why I do what I do. A lot of these conversations, I try to center, center them in that capacity of how, how do I help people learn how to express themselves and speak in the ways that certainly my father never learned. Um, and to many extents that I never learned until almost, it was, it was almost too late. I, I nearly ended my life at 25. Um, and, and much of my journey now is centered around helping people what I think, you know, and I, if, if I'm going to answer your question of like, what's my purpose, um, I, I, my purpose is quite different, right? But it lends me to kind of the same, same capacity. I find my meaning to life is to enjoy the passage of time. And I very much center my purpose around that idea as well. And so what I would want is to show people, regardless of what you've been through, how to enjoy the passage of time. Right. And, and I try to be not only a, an advocate for that, but an example of it, because I've, you know, I haven't had my, um, you know, if I were to look at my first 25 years of life, it wasn't a whole lot of enjoyment I could pick out. Right. You know, if you want to talk about pain that I can look at that very pretty as a pretty much a central and guiding uh, idea in my life. And, and now it's, drastically different right before the show we talked about how my baby um and by the time this comes out i'll have the baby but um how my child's about to be born in a week or two um and that is i mean i never thought i'd get here right i never thought i'd have the opportunity to pass 30 let alone 26 i never thought i'd have a wife i never thought i'd have a kid i never thought i'd have a stepson which is a remarkable um just a remarkable experience on its own. I get to, I get to experience this, this young man's life. Um, and, and I get to impart all that I know and, and all that I have with him. Um, you know, and, and so my meaning of life has, has really developed this purpose of just wanting to help people also find this idea of enjoying the passage of time. Um, and, 
it is unfortunate that not we can't save everyone from that you know the the opposite of that of that that inability to enjoy the passage of time and it's a a remarkable tragedy to watch someone fall into that that despair but here we are trying to to do our best to show people a different way well you're helping a lot of people i guarantee it and uh you know it's interesting and i i imagine i'll i'll let you answer but without pain there is no joy that's the the messed up part about our life if you didn't know what pain was let's just put a blank slate on us don't have it how would you know what joy is right so all of these crappy things that you go through, you have to say thank you. And just to know that, you know what, that's going to allow me to experience joy in a way that I, I didn't know. And as awful as it is that you lost your dad to that, that I lost mine to that, the perspective that it can bring mm -hmm. and some of the good that it can bring, like you doing what you do. And when, when I, you know, on my show, do what I do, Look, that tragedy is now bringing joy. It's now bringing light. So without, again, here's another example. Without darkness, there is no light. If you didn't have a definition of darkness, you wouldn't know what light is. And so it's it's a weird thing that we kind of have to surrender and accept. But look, you're going to have both sides of the coin. Just know that think you're alive to feel it. How, how blessed are you that you get to feel that pain? If you can switch your brain just a little bit, say, man, that feels good to, to be in pain. I know it's weird, but it, it helps me anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, it re it's kind of that reminder. But, I, I, you know, I think it's the experience has to be kind of guided to get to that point, right? I, I think it's not, it's not something that you can just come out of, a, you know, a loss and say, you know what, this experience is going to be really beneficial for me in 20 years. Um, you know, it took me, it, it took me 20, uh, you know, 25 some years to get to where I am now. Right. And it took me 20 years to really get to anywhere where it became somewhat beneficial to me um, in terms of emotional health. And, and, you know, for you, you have a different timeline, you know, because you went through it at a different time in your life. Um, but it takes, it takes a lot of, I think, fundamental development of emotional skills, right? You have your writing, you have your breathing. I do, I do breathing as, as well. And it's, you know, I, I don't write as much, you know, I certainly wrote a book, but that wasn't necessarily just specifically for the development of my emotions. It was more for, you know, what I do now. Um, I very much think, and then I also breathe and that's my, my meditation, but it requires you to develop, I think, a fundamental perspective on how, how trauma affects the body, how grief affects the body, how shame, guilt, how all of these things affect how you approach, I think, one of the most important factors in your life, and that's stress, right? You know, a long time ago, I heard, you know, there's good stress and bad stress, and there's not. You know, I, I think that that myth, it needs to be dispelled sooner than, rather than later, because any kind of stress on the body, though it may have benefits in, in terms of learning, ultimately you are, you are putting a, you know, stress on a specific part of a system that is not designed to be, uh, not designed to manage stress on a specific piece of the system, right? Your body is an intricate 
machine that that works on the idea that when you spread everything out, right, when you have the conversation, the expression, the you know the um, the digestion, the you know cardiovascular ability, like all of these things are designed to manage stress. But if you put a, a chink in the system, well, guess what? You you now just created an autoimmune disease that is going to you know, destroy your life because you're a people pleaser and you can't say no anymore. Right. And now you're putting so much pressure on your system that your body says no for you. I think a great book about this is when the body says no, um, by Gabriel Mate. I mean, these, these ideas that, that stress is good for you is, is questionable, right? Certainly you can do good things with it, but it, if, if crafted into a habitual practice, stress can be remarkably detrimental to your life and your lifestyle. Thousand percent, man. It's well said. And, you know, you said something that just triggered a a thought I had from this morning's conversation. I was talking to this cardiologist. So his job is literally to help people with their heart and save them. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about how stressed he is. And I said, well, I won't say his name, but why uh, how can you relieve that, right? Because it's all a choice. He's choosing to to put this on him over and over. And he goes, I can't say no. And I said, Andy, sorry, I said his name, but I said, Andy, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else, whether that's your health, your kids, your marriage, whatever it is, by your ability not to say no, you are saying effectively saying no. It's again, one of those things of life where it takes you a while to figure that out, but look, the ability to say, no, I don't need this or, or I need more sleep. That that's a choice that you want to talk about. Just the biggest thing I think so many people are lacking right now is sleep and taking care of their body. You want to get rid of some of these stressors, allow yourself some rest. So anyway, I I know I could talk on this subject for a while, so I'll get off my high horse, but I, I'm passionate about what you said on, on stress and, and the choice and, and the fact that every time you say yes, man, you're saying no to something or uh, that you say yes, you're saying no to something else. Yeah. And more often than not, you're saying no to you, right. Mm-hmm. And what, in your needs really, you know, I think that's, that's such a profound trauma, you know, response. And I know that that term is almost overused right now, but I think it's overused for reasons because we're recognizing for the first time in human history that trauma responses are developing a culture that's almost destructive, I, I would say, and that we, we need to have the capacity to be able to, to look at each other and say, no, I can't do that, you know, and do it without guilt, right? I think that's, that's been, if there's, if there's something that my generation has really learned, um, it's that like we were, we were raised to be these, this guilty generation of, if I say no to my parents, uh, I'm guilted into, you know, being, being the problem in the family, being the black sheep. Um, you know, it's so many, that's so, so relatable for so many people as I've found that then you just don't say no. Right. And, and this goes back for how many millennia, right. I don't even know, but I, I certainly know that, you know, we could probably date this back to, industrial revolution of, you know, supporting each other and taking care of each other. And certainly it made sense back then, but we're in a different society now. 
and and how do we approach that problem? How do how do governments approach that problem? Certainly, that's that's something that we're butting up against. How do schools approach that problem? Um, you know, I think we're very much in a transition point in human history of uh, where how are we approaching the idea of being able to create a boundary around our needs and then centralize that idea within every human being without it being looked at as this negative conceptualization of selfish, right? Selfishness is a profound necessity if we are to survive in a, in this, well, at least with my purpose of trying to enjoy the passage of time, you need a little bit of selfishness to do that. If, if all you are is selfless, well, guess what? You say no the rest of your life and you're going to die of a heart attack at 40, 42 years old. Brother, I, I, again, I, I teach this to a lot of my clients, especially females. Yeah. Selfish act you can do is not take care of yourself first. It's the most selfish thing you can do. So ladies specifically, because man, I watch them take care of their kids, the house, the husband, the name, 10 things. And they're last if they even get to it. And I'm like, stop being selfish. And they're like, I'm not selfish. I'm like, yes, you are. Because there's a real limited shelf life in what you're doing. And I know, yep, you got to take care of the kids first. No, you don't. You have to take care of yourself first. And that's why when you're in the airplane, they're like, put it on your, the mask on you first, or you put it on your kid. Life is the same. If you don't take care of yourself, it is the most selfish thing you can do. So I... You know, it's it's a really important lesson that we all need to be seriously looking at is taking care of ourselves. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy there's more there's more science that are that is really starting to back that up and develop that idea. I think you know Gabor Mate is really digging into that. Um, the body keeps the score with uh, Bessel van der Kolk is is really digging into that stuff. Um, I'm I'm really happy to see that now the audience isn't necessarily all the people it's actually medical doctors right when the body says no is literally written for medical medical doctors and mental health practitioners i'm pretty sure and so we're trying to look at these people and say how you approach a medical issue is actually through the conceptualization of how stress is handled so more of a mental health approach right just like we're talking about ask the fucking questions, right? Before you just say, what are your symptoms, right? Symptoms isn't solving a problem, right? Like if, if you look at like the, the DSM five, right? There's, you know, this is from Dr. Amon's book, right? There's like 2 million symptom, uh, symptom combinations for PTSD alone. How does that really define PTSD then? right? Like that, that doesn't make any fucking sense. So we have to look at the problem as a much deeper and more intricate kind of systematic and, and life experience kind of development of how, how do you approach stress? How have you approached stress in the past? Um, how, you know, what was the event that may have led to PTSD? What was, what was life like before? What were your parents like? And asking these questions about how do you approach conversations where you have to say yes or no to, to something. Um, I just think it's a, I think that's why, if, if anything, why like the mental health system itself has kind of diverged from uh, 
or, or not necessarily diverged, but why people like you and me exist more, you know, that coaching is a vastly different experience than the mental health system. And I think in some regards, coaching has always kind of seen it that way, but we didn't have an understanding of how to explain it that way. If that makes sense. And now I think maybe there's, there might be a convergence here of mental, the mental health system and kind of the, the coaching system. Well, it sure sounds like a hell of a lot better plan than throwing darts at a dartboard with medication. Right. I mean, my God, we're not even talking about the side effects. And you, you talk about stress. Holy shit, man. Some right. of the pills, the side effects are far more stressful than any gain you're going to get right. from whatever pharmaceutical. So anyway, big subject, but it, it's uh, it's an important one. Absolutely. Well, JM, what, what's the best way to kind of reach out to you or what's the, what would you recommend people uh, do to find you? Do, you? do you recommend they read your book? They, do, they, do you recommend them, you know, step right into a coaching session with you? What's the, what's the best way? What's your, what's your pipeline? You know, nobody's ever asked it that way. I like that question. Uh, I would say go to the book. If you really want to like JM in three hours, I would go to let's go win the first book because that's truly my heart and soul put into it. In terms of reaching out, I love, love talking to people. And they're like, dude, you were awesome or you were full of shit. I don't care what that is either way. I love talking to people. Um, and you can reach me at letsgowin.com or uh, let's go win 365 on any social media platform. I promise you my, my commitment is to be accessible far more than these influencers, quote unquote, have been in the past. Look, if somebody reaches out to me, I promise you, it will be me getting back to you and having a genuine conversation. Because you took the time out of your day to reach out. The least I can do is take time out of mine and reach out with to another human being. So um, outside of that, man, let's go win podcast. I try to make it easy. Just let's go win. I want everybody to win. So come on on the movement, man. So thank you, Dylan. I appreciate that. Of course. Well, without uh you know, without ending it right away, we, we've got to ask you the question that, uh, that I ask everybody so we can get your answer. Um, so if there's, if there was one message you could leave the world, JM, what would it be? Show up as you, um, the most important thing that I can tell someone and the easiest thing for you to be is you, and you know who that is. I don't care if you lost it for a little bit. I don't care if somebody told you they didn't like who you are. You're not going to please everybody. If you want life to be a little bit easier, just be you, your authentic self. It is less energy. You get to show up and truly enjoy the moment, truly be you. And, and as Dylan said, the passage of time, being able to be present in that moment, it's a lot of freaking work if you're wearing these masks. And I talk about that in my book because masks are meant for parties, man. They are not meant for our life. So take them off, show who you are, show up as you are, and, and let the world embrace that. Awesome. Well, JM, I appreciate everything. I appreciate the conversation, and I will make sure all the links that you need are down in the show notes below for anyone that wants to follow you and get, get in touch with you. Thank you again, and, and it was a pleasure having you on. I had an amazing time. Thank you for the time and the insightful questions and what you're doing to the world. Thank you for your service. You're an incredible man and, and I appreciate you. Awesome. I appreciate that.
Well, if you are still listening, make sure you check out JM and we'll catch you next time on the Dylan experience. And that's it.